Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So we are in our series week two of the Gospel According To. And today we're talking about the Gospel According To, Harry Styles. Now, we played that song and that video so that everybody in here that's over the age of 30 could know who Harry Styles is. I am 30, I'm almost 35, and the only reason I know who Harry Styles is is because I'm a young adults pastor. And most of the women uh, in the young adults group in United absolutely love Harry Styles. I even heard some of them singing the song along uh, earlier today, <laughs> just now on the video. So that's the only reason I know, and I'll be honest, uh, listening to some of the songs for, um, for research purposes for this weekend, I found myself, no, maybe I found myself tapping my toe and actually enjoying some of the music, but you'll never know because I'll never confess to that. Uh, I am not here today, though, to endorse Harry Styles. I'm not here to endorse him, but I'm also not here to tear him down as a human being. Okay, so I'm not going to stand up here and say, Harry Styles is the devil and he's leading everybody astray. I'm not gonna do that. Because he is a human being and I do not expect people who do not believe in Jesus to act like people who believe in Jesus. And so I'm not gonna sit up here and tear him down or, or, or you know, throw hate at him for the message that he's preaching because he might not even know that he's doing anything wrong. If you don't know Jesus, I don't expect you to act like you know Jesus. The gospel, the good news that Harry Styles is preaching really is to steal a line from last week's The uh, Gospel According to Disney. It's a tale as old as time. The gospel that he preaches, the good news, quote unquote, that he preaches, is a sweet-sounding, ear-tickling, deceit-filled, ancient melody preached since before baby Jesus was even here on earth and has been intertwined throughout history and pop culture since we started idolizing artists and philosophers. It has been around forever. So for our purposes today, yes, we're talking about Harry Styles. I'm gonna use some of his quotes. We heard one of his songs, but he could be a stand-in for any pop culture icon in the last 50, 100 years, or really any culturally relevant icon that we've, as a culture or as human beings, have idolized, he could be a stand-in for it. So if you tuned out when you saw him wearing a dress on the video, or if you have no clue and don't, have, don't care to know who Harry Styles is, that's fine. Use your pop icon culture or pop icon um, and put them in the place of Harry Styles today, and they've basically preached the same message. The truth is today that we all need a reminder of what the truth is. The truth is, we all need a reminder of what the truth is because this gospel, that pop culture that Harry Styles preached, it sounds beautiful, it sounds true, it, it even has a little bit of truth in it, but most importantly, it makes people feel good. Who doesn't wanna feel good? You wanna feel good? Nobody wants to feel good. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to change the whole message. Good grief. Do you wanna feel good? Okay, see the 11 o'clock, y'all are supposed to be awake. Y'all are clapping to the song, shouting down in worship. You wanna feel good. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I hope I have a terrible day today. Man, I just wish that first sip of coffee is garbage and I have a terrible day. 
Nobody wakes up that way. Everybody wants to feel good. And so that's why this message resonates with so many people. Regardless of your age, this particular message that we are gonna dive into resonates with so many people. It makes you feel good. But we all need a reminder of what the truth is because if we don't remind ourselves of what the real gospel is, the real good news if we don't remind ourselves daily about the fact that Jesus Christ, the son of God came to this earth to die on a cross for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. And he rose again so that we might have life and freedom through him. If we don't remind ourselves daily of that truth, of that fact, it is much easier for us to be led astray by feel good quotes. It is much easier for us to be led astray by the culture It's much easier for us to be led astray by our feelings or by what our heart might say to do. Have you ever uh, experienced um, wanting one thing or like expecting one thing and then getting something totally different? For instance, like, uh, like food, right? Food or drink. You, you bite into something and you expect it to taste one way, but then it tastes a completely different way. I had this thing happen to me uh, recently, about a couple weeks ago. Um, I had a 32 ounce Dunkin' cold brew on my desk. Don't judge me, okay? 32 ounces of coffee is a whole lot, but I have three kids under the age of seven or seven and under. Uh, They don't like to sleep in their own beds. So I always wake up in the middle of the night being kicked in the face. So I needed the 32 ounces of cold brew. Let me, (laughs) I'll let you know. So I'm drinking this and it's actually lunchtime. So I'm pacing myself again, don't judge me. So I have a little bit of this coffee left. And one of our residents, Josh, he walks into my office and he comes in with lunch, it's Taco Bell. And he has a drink, a 32 ounce, bright green, radioactive, neon, Mountain Dew, Baja Blast. You can only get at Taco Bell, yes. And I see that thing and I'm thinking about my coffee and how it's kind of not cold anymore. And it's a little old, you know, it's, it's, I've had it since like seven o'clock that morning. It's getting a little stale. Um, and I'm thinking about how good that Baja Blast would be. Ooh, man, it's sweating. It looks pretty. Again, it's bright green calling out to me, but it's Josh's. So I don't steal it from him. I'm better than that. And I reach for my drink which again, comes in the same 32 ounce like shape of cup. And I'm like eyeing his Mountain Dew, grabbing my cup and I'm thinking about his Mountain Dew and I take a sip and I drink bitter, nasty coffee. Now in the moment, in the moment I wanted to spit it out, but I had been drinking that coffee for like six hours and it wasn't gross to me before. But when I expected it to be the sweetness and the coolness of Baja Blast, I thought it was terrible and I spit it out. Now, that's what I hope happens to you today. You have been fed, you have been fed this drink, you've been fed this idea from the pop culture, you have been fed this idea of this gospel that we're about to dive into, and it has seemed okay, it has seemed good, but it is not. In fact, it is bitter. It is nasty and you expected it to be great, but it's not. Because Jeremiah 17, nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? The heart is deceitful, not above some things, above all. It is the most deceitful thing. How encouraging is that? Your heart is the most deceitful thing in all of the world. And it is desperately sick. And oh, by the way, you can't even understand it. 
Isn't that encouraging today? Doesn't that make you feel good? But it's truth. When you follow your heart, you're expecting your heart to lead you to something sweet and beautiful. But in the end, it's really just bitter. It's nasty. It leads to destruction. You should never, ever, 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 ever under any circumstance, no, never follow your heart. That is the biggest lie that anybody could ever tell you. Never, ever follow your heart because it will lead you to destruction. Follow the heart of God. The gospel that Harry Styles and pop culture preaches and has preached for so long is a gospel of self-love. Self-love, which says, follow your heart and nothing else. Do you. You do what you wanna do. You make yourself happy. It pursues one, one's own well-being and happiness and avoidance of shame and insecurity above all else. The gospel of self-love. Every point today that I'm gonna make comes from a quote directly from Harry Styles. Um, but it's simply just a regurgitation of the self-love narrative that has been preached all of history. And it might've been called something different, hedonism, whatever you wanna call it, this has been preached for a long time, for ages. And this is simply a regurgitation. So once again, I don't expect non-believers to act like believers. And I'm not hating on Harry Styles as a person. I hope that one day he meets Jesus and then he's on the Justin Bieber path and that a pastor befriends him and, and exposes him to Jesus and that he gets changed and that he influences the world for God's kingdom. That's what my prayer is. So I don't hate on Harry Styles as a human being, but some of the things that he says are absolute lies. Number one, the gospel according to Harry Styles is one of ignorance. It's one of ignorance. And this is the first quote we're gonna look at today. He says, be a lover, give love, choose love, love everyone always. Man, that's so good. Doesn't that sound great? Be a lover, give love, choose love. Love everyone always. That is so sweet, so beautiful. And honestly, there's some truth to it. There's some truth to it, which is why it's received so well. I mean, when he said this, he was at a show and the whole stadium erupted. Like, yeah, let's be love, love everybody. Because it has some truth. But here's the problem. The question is, how do we know what true love actually is? How do we really know how to love, how to choose love, how to love others? How do we know what love is actually supposed to look like? This is a gospel of ignorance. My son, Cannon, he is five years old and he has recently started playing the drums, playing the drums. I got him a, a, a drum set for his fifth birthday and he started playing the drums and he thinks that he is a drummer. Daddy, I'm a drummer. He thinks he's, now he did break his first drumstick, which really is the first step in becoming a drummer. So I'm proud of him for that. But he thinks that he's a drummer. He so much thinks that he's a drummer that he thinks that he's better than me. I've played the drums for 25 years and this little five-year-old thinks that he's better than his daddy playing the drums. So much so that he will ask, he'll be playing the drums, we'll like do a lesson or whatever and he'll look at me and be like, dad, I'm better than you, aren't I? And I look at him and I smile, not a chance, son. Not even close, dude. You got so far to go. You're terrible. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. 
I love him. <laughs> I want to be honest, but I also want to love him. So I tell him no, but he will look at me and he'll say, yeah, I am. Like, you don't know what you're talking about, dad. I'm so good. You have no clue what you're talking about. My son does this and he's cute. It's cute that he, that he thinks he's so good. It's cute that he wants to be competitive. It's cute that he doesn't think that I know anything. Kind of, that's cute, not really, but it's cute, okay? But it's ignorant. Now, I didn't say that he's stupid. He's ignorant. Ignorance is when you lack understanding. You don't have the tools. You don't understand. You don't have the information that you need to be wise. So you're ignorant. Stupid is whenever you have the tools, you have the understanding, and you choose not to use it. So my son is ignorant in his drumming abilities, thinking that he is some great, wonderful drummer. And this gospel, this quote of Harry's, is ignorant. It sounds cute. It sounds good. It makes you feel good. It's great to put, you know, all over the internet. It's wonderful. But it is ignorant because it lacks the understanding of what love actually is, rather who love actually is. The only way that we know how to truly love is to know the one who himself is love. We're about to read it in just a moment, but in 1 John, it is so clear <laughs> The Bible actually says, God is love. You couldn't get any more explicit than that, easier. God is love. So in order for us to know how to love and to know what love is, we must know God first. First John 4, verse seven, I'm reading out of the Amplified Version. It says this, beloved, let us unselfishly love and seek the best for one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves others is born of God and knows God through personal experience. The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know him. For God is love. He is the originator of love and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. I love that last part. He is the originator of love and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. Now, if we were to stop there, we could say, oh, okay, cool. So if I'm loving, if I'm kind, if I'm generous, then I must know God. That must, be, that must be what it is. No, but that's surface level. Like that's taking the scriptures out of context and then using them to work in your narrative. That's not right. So this is just the, this is just the base point. This is just the foundation of God is love, is those who love know God. If you know God, then you know how to love. Now, this is the way that God actually shows love. Verse nine, by this, the love of God was displayed in us in that God has sent his one and only begotten son, the one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation that is the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. So now we've moved a step further. God is love and those who love know God. If you do not love, you do not know God. Now, how do we know that God is love? Because he sent his son Jesus to die for us and to take on the atonement for our sins. John continues, beloved, if God so loved us in this incredible way, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another with unselfish concern, that's very important, unselfish concern, God abides in us and his love, the love that is his essence abides in us and is completed and perfected in us. By this, we know with confident assurance that we abide in him and he in us because he has given to us his Holy Spirit. We who are with him in person have seen and testify as eyewitnesses that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. That is a beautiful passage. First John, John 4, 7 through 19, talking about the love of God, that God is love. So we have that foundation. Now, if we look at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, we see what love actually does. By the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was not written for weddings. Let me just get that out there. If you read it at your wedding, that's good. I mean, it's scripture, it's truth, and I'm proud of you. But not written for weddings. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in verse four, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So looking at these two passages, we see God is love. And if we understand that God is love and he sent his son Jesus to show and to basically be the down payment of his love, then it would stand to reason that he is everything that we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, verse four through seven. In fact, you can read this passage by inserting God where it says love. God is patient and kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. God does not demand his own way. God is not irritable and he keeps no record of being wronged. God does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. He is not someone who makes you do something. God, is, God gives you free will. He loves you. He's given the opportunity to choose to love him. God is love. We cannot love others. We cannot love others. Not even just a little bit. We cannot love others properly without knowing and experiencing the love of God firsthand. And we start with that. We start by loving God and and experiencing his love firsthand, like we see in 1 John, by making him Lord by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by confessing and believing that he is the son of God, that he died and rose again and then gave us new life. That's how we start to experience the love of God and therefore love others. But we can't stop there. We also read and meditate on the word of God because the word of God is what tells us his character. And if we don't understand God's character and we don't know who he really is and we don't know what his love really looks like, then it's impossible to know him well and to show love to other people. And then thirdly, we ask him to search us and move us. We ask him to sanctify us. Like Psalm 139 says, David says, Lord, search me, know me, point out any wicked wicked way in me. We ask God, to move us closer to his heart. God, do something in me. Make me who you want me to be. This is how we know and experience the love of God. We make him Lord, we meditate on his word, and we ask him to search us. The truth, quote unquote, that 
Harry Styles and pop culture teaches is simply a half-truth. It honestly doesn't even flow with the rest of his narrative, with the rest of the self-love gospel. It stops short. At its root, self-love is the pursuit of one's own well-being and happiness and the avoidance of shame and insecurity. And it rests on the idea described by Buddha. This is a quote from him. It says, you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserves your love and affection. (laughs) Get out of here with that mess, Buddha. That doesn't make any sense. That's selfish. Is it not? No one deserves this kind of love that I deserve. Man, if somebody came up to you and told you that, like, wow, thanks for appreciating me. Thank you. What if you, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? Husbands, what if you went to your wife and was like, I want you to know, I deserve the most affection in this relationship. And you just need to know that. How selfish, <laughs> right? You'd be on the couch. <laughs> that's a selfish kind of love, but that's what the, the idea of self-love rests on because number two, the gospel according to Harry Styles and to pop culture is the gospel of self-idolatry. Self-idolatry. So we've got love, be love, love everybody. And number two, this is what his, his uh, quote is, is do whatever makes you happiest. Do whatever makes you happiest. We saw it in the video. He actually said that he had a friend that told him, hey, if you're happy, you're successful. Do whatever makes you happiest. The heart of the self-love movement is the pursuit of happiness and well-being. But again, it stops short of what God really wants for us. It stops short of the target. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In God's presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In God's presence not in worldly happiness, but in God's design, in God's presence, there is true lasting joy and happiness. You see, worldly happiness is like the meadows, which by the way, comes back tomorrow. Can't wait. Hey, okay, uh, y'all better clap for something else other than the meadows. Just so you know, the nine o'clock did the same thing and I got, the, I got onto them as well. So let's clap for Jesus more than the meadows. No, just kidding. So not kidding, actually. Uh, <laughs> I love the meadows, but I love Jesus more. So when the meadows is available and when I'm eating it, I'm satisfied. I'm happy. You can tell that I'm happy because it's probably on my beard. I love the meadows. But when, it is on a, when it's on a hiatus, like it has been for the last two and a half months, no one's counting, When it's been on hiatus or when I finish my cup, I am immediately left wanting more. And I'm thinking, I should go back tomorrow. I should take some of my kids' meadows. I should take theirs so that I can be happier, right? Like, this is what worldly happiness really is. And guess what? Sometimes I pick up the meadows and I'm in my car and I've got the heater on because it's cold and my meadows melts. 
all over my car. And then I get home and I don't have as much as I wish I had. And I'm left wanting again, desiring more. It will always run out. It will always melt. It will always fade. And this is what worldly happiness is. Worldly happiness will always fade will always run out, will always melt on us, essentially. It will be here today and gone tomorrow, and you will be left unsatisfied when you put your hope for happiness in things of this world. You cannot put your happiness in a person. You cannot put your happiness in a relationship. You cannot put your happiness in your achievements or in your job. You cannot put your happiness in how good your kids are. You cannot put your happiness in anything that you own, that you have, that you pursue, that you don't have, that you see on Instagram, that you see on Facebook. You cannot put your happiness in anything else other than Christ and have it last. It will fail you over and over and over again, and you will be left completely empty. And that is because if I pursue happiness in this life alone, then it's not founded in love. It is selfish. It is not lasting. It causes issues in the long run. See Jeremiah 17, nine, when I follow my heart, it will lead me to destruction no matter what. And it is ultimately idolatry to self, idolatry of self. It makes me God. You are all here to make me happy. You exist for me. I exist for me. Everything in this world exists for me to make me happy. This puts me on the seat of God. That is what the gospel of self-love is teaching. And again, there is nothing wrong with wanting a happy life. Did you wake up today and think, I hope my life is miserable today? I hope you didn't. (laughs) Then we could pray about it later. But no one wakes up and is like, I hope I have a terrible life. You know, that'd be great. That'd be really wonderful if my life was just miserable. Everybody wants to be happy. There's nothing wrong with desiring to find happiness, but You can't leave out the fact that everlasting joy is found in God and not earthly things or people. Psalm 37 verse four says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Very simply, delight yourself in the Lord. Not delight yourself in this world. Delight yourself in the Lord. There are three ways that we delight ourselves in the Lord. We delight in God as the most admirable. God is the most admirable because he created every person you see, everything that you see in nature, everything that you do not see in the universe. He created it. He is the most admirable. Any good thing comes from him. Any source of love comes from him. Any, like the, the understanding of faithfulness, the understanding of grace, the understanding of mercy, the understanding of love comes directly from him. So why would he not be the one who is worthy of adoration? It's not the girl that Harry Styles was singing about. God is worthy of admiration. Look around and see his creation. So we delight in God as the most admirable. We delight in God as our intimate savior and friend, our intimate savior and friend, I was reading an article um, on the blog site Desiring God, and it's by John Piper. And I don't agree with everything that John Piper says, but this particular article I agreed with. <clears throat> and he talks about um, delighting in the Lord. And he said that when he preaches about delighting in the Lord, he talks about the Grand Canyon and how no one goes to the Grand Canyon 
to have a self-esteem boost. You don't go to the Grand Canyon and stand on the edge of the canyon and look a mile down and see this itty bitty river that's really huge or look across the horizon and see the craziness, the crazy expanse that is the Grand Canyon to make yourself feel bigger. No, you go there and you feel really small. You go there and you're like, oh my gosh, this is insane. I can't believe this is here. I can't believe I'm here right now looking at it. Your self-esteem is not built there. You are in awe, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in him creating or not, you see this canyon and you think, how did this even happen? This is incredible. And so he talks about how you delight in God in that way and you see this Grand Canyon. But he also said in this article that he, that he preached that many times. And then one time this lady came to him and said, hey, you know, that's great and all, but it's really hard to enjoy the Grand Canyon if you're afraid of falling into the Grand Canyon. And he says in this article that he kind of dismissed her and was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I'm still gonna use it. Um, But he went home and started thinking about it and realized how profound this statement really is. You see, if I go to the Grand Canyon and I'm looking at it and I'm in all of its beauty and instead of experiencing its beauty, I'm anxious and I'm afraid that I'm gonna fall in or that something bad is going to happen or I think the Grand Canyon's out to get me, I cannot admire the experience that I'm in right now. I cannot admire its beauty. And he said, when we delight in the Lord, when we try to delight in the Lord and there's for some reason this wall, it's usually because we have a wrong view of God and we think that he is out to get us. Even when we've given our heart to him, we feel like he's out to get us. And so we can't actually fully delight in his love because we're afraid that his love might not actually last. We're afraid that he's just waiting for us to mess up so he can bring the gavel down. We have the wrong view of who God really is as a loving father, as an intimate savior, as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So if you find yourself having a hard time delighting in God, go to the scripture, see who he is. It's a tragedy that so many of us, and I'm putting myself in this category, it's a tragedy that so many of us as Christians have a book that has been written that is the living, active word of God, and we neglect it. God is telling us who he is through his word, and we do not spend time getting to know him through his word. We let worship songs try to tell us who he is. We let pastors try to tell us who he is, but we don't have the real, personal, intimate relationship with him that we should. I've been there many times where I neglect his word and I forget about his character. If you're questioning God, okay, fine, open his word. See how he loves, see who he really is and not who someone else has told you him to be. When you open the word, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to your heart his character, and you will see him fully. You will know him and you will be known by him fully. You will have an understanding of his joy everlasting. You'll have an understanding of his peace that passes, that passes understanding, that passes circumstances. You will have a sense of his comfort that even when you don't know what's going on, he works everything out for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. But you don't know those things until you get into the word of God. 
Because I can tell you all day, Pastor Mel could tell you all day, anybody else, insert your favorite preacher there, they can tell you all day long, but it has to be planted on the inside. And that comes from a personal relationship with Christ, a personal relationship with God. We've got to meditate on his word. So we delight in him as the most admirable. We delight in him as our intimate savior and friend. And we delight in the gifts that he gives. Every good thing, every good thing, every good gift is created by him and should be enjoyed for worship. Worship is not just singing and playing music or having us play music and all of us singing together in this room. That is not what worship is. Worship is dedicating every single part of your life to God. Worship is living and enjoying things and saying, thank God that he gave me the ability to enjoy this. It's taking things that maybe would, would even be um, sometimes annoying or sometimes difficult and giving them back to God and saying, God, you, you've put me in this situation. You're still giving me breath. And I want to just praise you for that. My son, Grayson, um, I said they, my kids barely sleep and he's two years old. He is so difficult to put to bed and he has a very hard head and he's the one who kicks me in the face. And so sometimes when I try to lay down uh, with him, I get really frustrated because I'm like, dude, it's 11 o'clock. Would you please just go to sleep? Like, please just go to sleep. And every moment I think I'm getting annoyed and I'm like, oh, just go to sleep, man. I'm getting frustrated. I feel the Holy Spirit remind me hey, this is a beautiful moment. You're laying down here with your boy. It's okay. You won't always have these moments. And it makes me feel like a trash human being for a second. And then I realize this is an opportunity to pray for my son, to thank God for him. And this is how I delight, even in the times that are annoying to me, this is how I can delight in God because the good things that he's given me are, should, be, should be turned back for worship. The gospel of whatever makes you happy sounds great until you realize that following your heart and your desires lead to destruction. And carried too far, this can cause you to miss out completely on the life that God has for you, on the goodness and the fullness of life. Isaiah 55 verse eight says that God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts and his ways are higher than your ways. And verse nine says, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So why not trust him? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man and it appears straight before him, but in the end, it leads to death. And this is where self-idolatry will lead you. It might feel good in the moment, but it will lead you to death. So we have a gospel of ignorance. We have a gospel of self-idolatry. And the third thing is we have a gospel that is being preached in the pop culture by Harry Styles and other people. The gospel of self-defined identity. Be whatever you want to be. Be whatever you want to be. It's up to you. Oh no. Galatians 2.20 says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want to reiterate, I do not, Expect unbelievers to act like believers. So if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and confess your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord and that he died and rose again for your sins, if you haven't done that, then this specific scripture doesn't apply to you. 
I hope that one day it does and that you choose to follow Jesus and this applies to you. But if you have followed Jesus, if you have confessed and believed and you have made Jesus Lord of your life, the old self is dead. It is buried. It is gone. The new has come. The old has passed away and the new has come. Your identity is no longer what you made up or what your parents made up or in your job or in your achievements or whatever. That is not your identity any longer. Your identity is that of a son of God in Christ. And the old has passed away. But the problem is that this culture, and even we in the church sometimes, prioritize self at all costs. When the Bible teaches to die to our old selves, to carry the cross, Ephesians 4, 24 says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put it away. Do away with the old way of life. Because of Christ's sacrifice for us, we are no longer bound to self-interest, but can follow the call to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and to follow Christ. See, but the problem is we think that, well, I might've been changed by Christ, but you just don't understand. Like, this is just how I've always been. So my dad was before me. This is how my granddad was before him. And this is how my great granddad was before him. And that's just something that we do. You know, we just have to, we just have to deal with this. It's just a familial thing. And you can insert whatever kind of identity you, you identify with, whatever kind of struggle you might have that you're holding on to that you say, well, this is just a way of life. I used to be an addict. I used to be addicted but Christ has completely changed my life and I no longer say that I'm an addict. I'm a son of God. And I live this life in faith of Christ, the one who loved me and gave his life up for me so that I could have a different identity. Now, I'm not telling you, I wanna be very clear on this. I'm not telling you that once you give your life to Jesus, boom, everything, the, the slate is wiped clean and you are made perfect right then and there as far as your habits you are made perfect and the slate is wiped clean in your spirit for sure. But the flesh still exists. And so it's a process. It's a process of sanctification. But if you are saying, God, you can change me, but not this part. That's the problem. That's where we are clinging to our, to our self-centered identity, to our self-constructed identity. Is when we say, God, do anything. I surrender to you. Change me but not this part right here. This part I still like, and I want to keep that. And even though it might not align with your word, I understand, I need you to adapt to me, please. That doesn't work that way. When I was in high school, I played, uh, I played football and I played um, on the drum line at the same time. And there were times when, you know, you'd play at halftime and you'd go play football later. Well, if I identify, which I did at the moment, in, at halftime, I had to identify as a, as a snare drum snare drummer. I had to identify as a band member, not a band nerd because I was a drummer. So I didn't identify that way, but I was a band member. So I, <laughs> I played the snare drum at halftime. Now, how ridiculous would it have been for me to keep my snare drum on, to have my sticks in hand, to be in my band uniform, and then to go out for the third quarter and tell my coach, y'all need to adapt to me because I'm a drummer and I'm gonna play football like this. I would absolutely sit the bench. <laughs> I would be laughed at. And even if I went out there trying to play, I would be murdered because I wouldn't have any pads on. All the while screaming, but I'm a drummer. 
No, because I had changed the context that I was in. And we, when we come into new life with Christ, change the context of our life. But we still try to hold on to the old life. When you submit your life to Christ, you are opening your hands and saying, whatever, whenever, however, wherever, whatever you want to do, God. That is submission to Christ. And that is a process, and I get that. We're all in process, but we've got to continue to walk in the process because one of the dangers of the self-love movement is that it might, merely, it might lead us to merely accept our old selves the way that they are, suppressing any desire for change. Well, God loves me and he loves me just the way that I am, so why do I need to change? Well, that's again, a half-truth. God desires so much more for us than this. He desires our sanctification, our conforming to the likeness of him. I want you to know that God loves you so much that he will not leave you where he found you. He will not keep you where he found you. Aren't you glad for that church? Aren't you glad that you aren't in the same place that you used to be? Aren't you glad that he's taken you from glory to glory and sanctified you over and over again and that when you mess up and have a terrible day or a terrible year or a terrible decade, he is still at work in your life as you submit to him? That's beautiful. He loves you deeply, but loves you so much that he's not content to keep you where you are. It is only when we have died to ourselves and put on the new self that we are truly freed to love others. And this is how it comes full circle. If I want to love and be love and choose love and love everybody always, I have got to submit to the love of God fully. I've got to submit to Christ fully. I've got to know God and who he is in his character. Why? Because 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. You cannot love others if you do not first know the love of God. Because that love is empty. That love is fake. It is not, it does not, it, it is not dense with the truth. Harry Styles, the pop culture, they preach the gospel of self-love and self-love makes us God. It puts us on the throne or at least tries to anyways. They say that self-love is the way to cure any pain, any insecurity, any shame, any misunderstanding. Man, it's just self-love. Love yourself better. Do what you want to do. Make yourself happy. Be who you want to be. But the problem is that self-love is dependent on yourself and your ever-wavering opinions and strength. God's love of you is dependent on his unwavering love and his unfailing promises. Self-love puts the burden for freedom from shame and perceived hate on you, but Jesus has already ultimately taken that burden for you. Self-love is up to you through your willpower, but Jesus gives you love and freedom through his power. Self-love assumes that the aim of life is to be happy and love ourselves, but we are here for so much more. We are here to glorify God, to love God, to love others. And we cannot do that without understanding God's love. Self-love is a good thing that stops us short of the best thing. It's okay to have self-care. It's okay to care about yourself. I'm not telling you to not care about yourself. But what I'm saying is that's not the best thing. It's a good thing that stops short. Loving ourselves is a healthy byproduct of loving God 
loving others and glorifying God. But you see, the gospel of self-love gets these things twisted. More important of self than of God. And finally, self-love assumes that our enslavement is caused by this culture and its negativity and can therefore be cured by positive thinking and meditation on oneself. But according to the gospel, our enslavement is actually because of our sin and rebellion and can only be cured through Jesus. Anything less than that, anything less than this real gospel truth is a self-made God that will end up enslaving you. If you ascribe to the gospel of self-love, if you ascribe to the gospel of self-idolatry, you will be enslaved and you will be led to destruction. You might be sitting here today and thinking, I'm good. I don't deal with self-love at all. I don't have a problem with that. Well, the fact is that every one of us, if we're still on earth, we believe in Jesus and we have breath in our lungs that we are still in the process of dying to ourselves constantly. You exist right now to continue to glorify God. And you're existing right now, no matter your age, you're being, you are being given an opportunity to continually die to self and magnify Christ. Till your dying death, that is what you are doing here on earth when you put your trust in Jesus. And so every single one of us in here, including myself, including everybody, from the oldest to the youngest, we can continue to grow in these areas of loving others, of pursuing delight and joy in God alone and putting on the new self that Christ has given us. The first step of that is confession and belief that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what he says he has done. Right now, I'm gonna turn it over to our host in Blairsville. I thank you guys for being with us today. We love you more than you know, and we're so glad that we get to be your pastors. Have a great day. The first step of breaking out of the gospel of self-love is to submit to Christ as Lord and Savior. To recognize that he himself is love. And the only way to know and to be loved fully is through him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the room. Nobody's looking around just to cut out distractions. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be set free. You will be made new, in fact. And if you've never done that, today is your day. Today is your chance at freedom, at a new life. So if you're in here today and you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you never confessed and believed that he's the son of God and that he rose again for your sins so that you would have life and you want to do that today, nobody's looking around. I want you to raise your hand. I just want to say a prayer with you. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else. Is there, yeah, I see you. Thank you from the balcony. Is there anybody else that would say, I want to put my trust and my hope in Jesus for the first time today. I just want to pray with you.
Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray this prayer together because whether you raise your hand or not, if you believe this in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. And put your hope and your trust in Jesus. So everybody in this room as a family, we're going to repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to die for my sins and to raise again so that I could have life. I put my trust, I put my hope, I put my faith in you as Lord. I deny myself and carry the cross and follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's give God some praise for the new life today. So glad. Hey, if you made a decision today to follow Christ, we want you to text Summit PA to 94,000 so that we can get um, some resources in your hand so that you're not just left alone. We want you to know that you're not just a number to raise your hand and check off the box. Like, no, we want to help you grow and an understanding of the decision that you just made. So text Summit PA to 94,000. I don't want to leave this moment without asking you as well to reflect for just a moment. Like I said earlier, Psalm 139 says to search me, God. Search me and point out any wicked way in me. So I just want us to sit still for just, just a moment. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now. If you want to close your eyes and do so, that's okay. But ask the Holy Spirit right now, search me. Lord, search me. Do I deal with any of these issues maybe that I didn't know about? God, am I ascribing to the gospel of self-love? Do I view myself as Lord? I'm gonna leave you with that thought. And what we're gonna do now is we're going to sing one last song of worship. And as we do, I want you to reflect on that. I want you to respond to what God is speaking to you. Our prayer team is gonna be down here at the front. And if God spoke to you that, that someone needs to be sanctified in you or pulled out of you, the best way to do that first is to confess to him and repent and then go and tell somebody about it. Our prayer team is down here with you, not to shame you or judge you, but to pray and encourage you. To pray with and encourage you so that you can have strength to continue to deny yourself and follow Christ. We all need it. So I encourage you to pray with somebody down here. And at the end of the song, if you have any prayer needs for anything, then come and pray with somebody. Let us contend with you. Let's ask God to search us. Let's worship. It's been so good to be with you guys today. I love y'all. Even if I haven't met you yet, I love you. And I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to speak to you the word of God today. Let's go ahead and stand and let's worship.